It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Up podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's your host here, Edward Ford, and joining us today on the show is Sonia Jacob, who is content marketing lead at AppDynamics. Now today we're exploring the world of content marketing in B2B SaaS and redefining what content means in the age of growth. And there are few people better than Sonia to lead us through this exploration. Sonia has been working in content marketing for over 10 years, ever since she founded her own boutique creative and content production agency, The Cultivated Word, back in 2008. Since then, she has worked at some incredible companies in B2B SaaS, including HubSpot, Kissmetrics, Zenefits, and Drift, as well as AppDynamics, where Sonia is currently working as their content marketing lead. In addition to all this, Sonia has also been named as one of 30 women shaping B2B tech marketing. Now, in this episode, Sonia outlines the evolution of content marketing in B2B SaaS and how modern marketing teams can create a growth-centered content marketing strategy. Sonia also explains how to do customer research, how you can measure the ROI of content, and she also breaks down whether you should approach content as a library or publication. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode where Sonia shares what content marketers should focus on as we head into 2020 and a new decade, as well as why marketers shouldn't read about marketing and why marketers shouldn't actually be marketers. So here we go. It's episode 45 of the Growth Up podcast with Sonia Jacob, content marketing lead at AppDynamics. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Up podcast. And it's my pleasure to welcome Sonia Jacob to the show, who is content marketing lead at AppDynamics. So Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth Up podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat. Yeah, I'm very, very excited about this episode because today we're going to be redefining content in the age of growth. So to kick things off, let's actually talk about how content has changed over time. So if you think back to when you started in B2B and SaaS, what was the role of content, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, totally. I think so when I think back to you know, 2010, um, content marketing was still very much in its infancy, you know? Um, And I also think at that point in time, we content marketers were trying to create an identity separate and and distinct from content strategy, which was kind of the more prevalent um, discipline, if you will, uh, which is really much more focused on things like content governance and sort of management of assets and not so much building brand and driving traffic with the help of content. And at that point in time, I was running The Cultivated Word, which was my consulting business. And um, in the years that sort of followed, uh, content marketing remained a a kind of nebulous concept, if you will. Uh, But then I think sort of the the shift was that um, HubSpot came in and definitely kind of changed uh, people's perception of content marketing and really actually created that category. Um, And particularly in the context of SaaS, uh, HubSpot played this huge part in showing B2B marketers what content marketing could do for them. Um, You know, and and content marketing was about driving traffic and still is, uh, as well as attracting inbound interest and and things like that. Um, And people definitely, you know, leverage that. You know, I remember HubSpot early days, you know, everyone was signing up for an ebook, but also at the same time, marketers kind of discovered how to manipulate that. 
um, and we mined it for a really long time. But then, you know, people started to get wise to the ways in which handing over your email uh, kind of signed you up for things that maybe you didn't want, like a lot of calls from sales reps and a lifetime of spam email and things of that nature. Um, and then I think, you know, things started to change. Marketing and content marketing specifically got a lot harder, but also a bit more mature. Um, and I think it changed a little bit. And obviously we're, we're still in a, a state of flux, I think. Um, but it was less, I think 10 years ago, it was less specifically about, um, you know, content marketing this field. And it was more about like, let's educate and create this category. And obviously HubSpot had a huge part to play in that because they were creating this category so that they could sell software. Um, and in that way, it was, you know, a pretty um, clever um, revolution, if that makes sense. And they were sort of at the forefront of it. Um, and then I think, you know, since then we've seen a ton of change, but 10 years ago, content marketing was really, really different. Yeah, for sure. And I think based on my own experiences as a marketer that I learned a lot about, not just inbound marketing, but as you said, content marketing from HubSpot. So yeah, they've definitely had a big influence on content marketing and how content marketers operate. So how have you then seen content marketing evolve over time and, and throughout your career from then until today? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the evolution has been kind of a crazy one. Um, I think I've sort of seen content marketing go from, you know, basically like nothing. I, I mean, I remember, God, I'm going to sound really old when I say this, but I remember the time when even I sort of was coming into contact with the contact with this idea that content was this foreign thing, you know, um, 10 plus years ago, you might read, you know, in a magazine because it was a print pub and you'd get to the middle of the magazine and there would be something that looked like magazine content, but at the top, you know, it said sponsored content. And so I remember those days, which was really the early part of content marketing. Um, and then obviously where we're at right now, where, you know, it's this thriving industry of professionals. Um, and so I've seen companies wonder what in the hell content marketing is and why they need it to using it sort of as a powerful growth lever, you know, for a variety of different outcomes. Um, but despite this, I, I actually think there are still a lot of major issues with the way that we think about individual units of content marketing um, and sort of like the value that it plays within certain businesses. And I guess for me, what I've seen in sort of the overall uh, evolution is that, um, you know, people hire content marketers and, and often turn them into something else like website copywriters. Um, and so like in early stage startups, this usually wastes everyone's time and makes founders pretty jittery about their so-called investment in content. Um, so I think that, you know, that's one thing that I, even though we've had all of this incredible evolution over time, there is still a lot of um, gray area within content that allows content marketers to get hired and then become sort of the de facto copywriter for the entire uh, organization. And I think, I don't know. I think one of the biggest problems with that is that, you know, you can't write um, anything by committee. And I think the more that content marketers cede sort of their power to, uh, you know, completing other functions and organizations, I think it, it's kind of a, it holds you back as a content marketer and, and the field as a whole, because, you know, they're not the same thing, which is kind of a crazy thing to be saying these days. But, you know, the confusion happens all of the time. Um, and then I guess the other big change that I've seen is that 
we still don't quite understand, we don't grok the ROI of content marketing. Um, and I think that's because, you know, back in the day, you know, we had those great examples like HubSpot where, you know, people would create a content marketing strategy and boom, you know, they'd be at the, you know, top of the first page of results in Google. But that was actually like a different time and place. You know, there was, there was less competition. It was easier to rank for things. And so I think that sets content marketers up for a lot of, uh, you know, challenges. Uh, they're good challenges, and I think you can tackle them the right way as a content marketer. But I think it also requires, um, you know, that we sort of take a critical sort of approach to developing content strategy and understand that uh, there is no one-size-fits-all thing that content marketing does. Um, and yeah, going back to the HubSpot reference, you know, you, you could write 10 blog posts and drive a bunch of traffic overnight 10 years ago. Uh, because you weren't competing with as many people. But nowadays, that's completely changed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the point you made there about the challenges of measuring the performance of content and measuring the ROI of content as, as being something very difficult is a really interesting point. So I'd love to know, have you found any ways of how to overcome that challenge? Or, or how do you look at measuring content? And, and have you worked out how you can actually measure the ROI of your content? Yes. Yeah, I think that there's it's always unique to the business. I think that sort of goes without saying, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's worth mentioning, but um, you know, your goals, you know, at an early stage company with regard to, you know, measuring different, you know, output of content marketing activities, it's going to be fundamentally different than at an enterprise company or mature company that's using content for a variety of different purposes. Um, but I think early on, you know, you're looking at the things that are going to help you survive, things like traffic, things like conversions from, you know, your marketing activities where you are spending your dollars. And so it's difficult to say that there's, you know, one end all be all metric. Obviously traffic plays a huge part of that, but at the same time, you know, if you're a content marketer and you're, you know, partly tasked with enabling your sales team, traffic's only going to give you half of that picture, right? So if you're, you know, investing half of your time in creating, you know, say enablement content, traffic's not going to help you in terms of ROI. So I think you need to be critical about like, where are you asking your content marketer to spend time? You know, is he or she actually working on a variety of different things? And so I think the ROI has to be calibrated based on, you know, what you're trying to do and how your content marketer is spending their time. Yeah, definitely. And I think a starting point for content marketing is your content marketing strategy. So if we fast forward to today where everything is centered around growth, how would you go about creating a growth centered B2B content marketing strategy nowadays? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in many ways, um, growth has definitely always been sort of the, the, the end game for content marketing, right? Um, when I think back, to you know, content at a lot of other places, it's always about some type of growth, which is obviously a very broad term. Like, you know, at HubSpot, you know, we use content to drive growth and in inbound interest, leads uh, to ultimately buy software. You know, Kiss Metrics back in the day uh, used content to sort of scale inbound demand and become you know an authority on all things product and growth. And then I think about uh, you know, early on at Mattermark. So they grew uh, their, you know, email newsletter base to 70,000 subscribers, um, you know, with their curated content around VC and capital and growth in general. And so I guess I, I feel like content has always been about growth. It's just that 
now we have this name for it. We have a discipline for it. Um, and, and so the growth field emerged from this space. So I don't think it's that content and growth are, are mutually exclusive. Um, so to that end, I think that you can create, you know, a content marketing strategy based on where your company is at right now and what you're hoping to achieve like six, nine, 12 months out. Um, and then I think you can kind of fine tune it, um, in a variety of sort of ways. Um, first up, I, I think it's really, really critical to identify where you can make the biggest difference in the least amount of time and also sort out what's going to be a longer term play, for example. Um, and I think this is really, really pivotal if you are starting out an early stage company, uh, or if you're thinking about hiring a content marketer, um, you kind of have to see like, what do we need right away? Because this person is, is not going to be able to do everything. Um, but figure out, you know, actually list out, you know, three, six, nine months and understand what tasks you need to get done during that time period. Um, so I think that that's really, really crucial in terms of developing a content marketing strategy. But then, you know, if you're more mature as a company or your content marketing function is more mature, you can actually, um, I love the idea of pairing your content marketer with a performance marketer and letting them develop a content strategy based on, you know, uh, some channel by channel sort of hypotheses um, and then testing those out. Um, obviously, if you can do both the organic and the paid simultaneously, you're in a great spot. But I think sort of sometimes you can accelerate some learnings uh, by pairing your content marketer with a a performance marketer, demand gen marketer, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, and then I think you can sort of parlay that into a more broad content strategy. Um, and then I think later on, uh, you know, if you're at a more mature company, content marketing and the strategy behind it is going to be more about the assist, right? So you actually have other mature marketing functions alongside you. So as a content marketer, you're actually going to be doing a little of everything, scaling traffic, building brand, and things of that nature. So I guess I view content strategy as sort of expanding in scope, depending on the maturity and size of your business. In the beginning, you're going to be using content to, to stay alive, right? And then later on, it'll be about optimizing and brand building using content. So I think you kind of need those lenses, you know, especially the temporal element, three, six, nine months, um, to sort of think about a strategy that's actually going to move the needle for you and your business. Yeah, I love these points. And I really like the idea of pairing a content marketer with a performance marketer and then letting them see what magic they can come up with. Um, yep. But I think today, content marketers, as you mentioned, they're not just thinking about blogging, for example, they're thinking much bigger. So how do you then align content with broader business goals and not just things like page views and traffic, for example? Yeah, I think that's a huge question because um, without a doubt, we're seeing through content marketing just expand in terms of its definition. And that makes sense because it's been around for a while now. And um, I think without a doubt, you know, content marketers aren't just blogging anymore. They're, they're making videos, right? They're hosting podcasts. They're doing things sort of at the top of the funnel that function pretty similar to a media company, I'd say. And, and those things are great. But in order for them to move the needle, you kind of need to connect that top of the funnel activity with more down funnel activities like signing up for premium content based on channel, uh, product, thought leadership, etc. Um, and you need a means of qualifying all of that traffic and learning more about the people who actually you know, consume it. Um, I think that's, that's a huge part of it nowadays. So the qualification component um, you know, I think that really sort of feeds into how am I helping the broader business? Um, yes, I'm doing all of these top of funnel activities, but 
what do they mean down funnel? You know, is, is this actually giving sales the leads that they need? Is it generating interest? I think another part of it is if you're doing a really good job with content marketing, and I would say this is something that we did really, really well at Drift, um, is you're going to make the sales process a lot shorter. And what I mean by that is that you are creating enough content, you're out there, you're visible, that when you know, your sales reps are you know, trying to close a prospect, there's much less time spent on like, who are you? What do you do? Uh, what's your space in the market? What's your unique value prop? I think that's a, a place where content really, really, really helps in terms of just really kind of supporting the business and, and making the sales process shorter, hopefully. Um, but I also think that the really big element is that, you know, thinking bigger is really about nurturing this, you know, emergent content as media function um, component while also thinking about, you know, how you can get people to become qualified hand raisers, you know, people who are like, yes, give me your product. Um, so I think that those are sort of interesting um, components that thinking bigger um, requires. So you have to kind of give a one-two punch where you're actually creating that top of funnel media function and then following it up with the right activities after that. I think you can't have one without the other. Um, but I think that, um, there's something I want to mention here because it, it actually happened recently. Um, I posted something about, you know, how content is changing, right? And how more people are, are serving in this media function. Uh, and someone responded, they commented on the post. They're like, well, yeah, because the written word is like the least impactful kind of marketing, which I mean, as a content marketer, I definitely disagree uh, for a variety of reasons. But if you're just doing one thing, you know, if you're just blogging, for example, that's not going to work. So I think the, you know, the bigger vision here for content is that um, it's not just about words. Obviously, that's a huge part of it, but it's just one component. You know, you need written words to teach Google how to surface your content, right? But then you also need consumable video for, you know, driving engagement. Um, and, you know, if you can make the investment in a podcast, it's awesome. Uh, but that's going to be sort of a long-term play. But one way or the other, you know, it's all about having more of a mix and really focusing on nurturing that content as media function element that I think is really emergent and interesting right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you're definitely not the first person who I've spoken with about this, who's brought this up. And we had Kristen Bryant on the podcast a few episodes ago from Wistia, and she was talking about exactly the same things and talking about mm -hmm. how marketing teams now need to think about marketing like a media company. Right. So, it's, uh, it's definitely happening. That's for sure. Um, but I, th I think in addition to the business, your other key stakeholder as a content marketer is your audience. So how do you bring in customer research when developing your content marketing strategy? Yeah, I think that's an important component because especially because I guess I sort of look at it as if there's, you know, there's pre-sales content and then there's post-sales content. Pre-sales content, you know, you're interested in your prospect, right? They're a bigger unknown, but post-sales, you're talking about your customer and certainly one can feed into the other. Um, but if you want to know more about your customer, I think the, the, the best place to go, you know, is by talking to your customer success managers or anyone sort of in a related function, right? Because they're talking to customers on a daily basis and you can kind of get data about what content is needed post-sales by simply talking to CSMs. Um, I think the other component that's really, really helpful in learning more about your customers certainly is interviewing them. Um, when I was at Zenefits, one of the most like instructive things that I did there 
uh, you know, at a personal level was talk to customers, you know, interview them, find out, you know, what exactly is helping them get onboarded with the product faster, what's working for them as far as uh, content that they need in order to teach other team members how to use the product. And I think that's actually like a really useful part of customer research that you can do. Um, and that helps you think about, you know, what problems your, you know, your prospects for sure, but what your customers are solving right away. Um, and I think that that informs quite a bit. I think the other part of it in terms of research in general, and this is something that I think is, it's kind of tactical, but worth mentioning is um, it's really, really cool to see what people search for when they get to your website. Um, so if you have that search functionality on your site, if you can capture what it is that people are typing in there, um, I think that gives you like a really unique window into what you need to surface for individuals. Um, you know, it could be prospects or customers, but one way or the other, that has always been a super useful sort of hacky thing that reveals exactly what people are looking for. And you can kind of quantify that and understand, okay, well, is this, an, is this a high volume search query on your website? in a way that I think kind of gives you an idea of what you need to surface to them, um, whether they're prospects or customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think following from this then, when it comes to creating content itself, there are typically two schools of thought in content marketing. So one is content as a publication, and then the other is content as a library. So what are your thoughts on this content dichotomy? Ah, uh, yes, this dichotomy constantly surfaces, I think, lately. I think, you know, in general, uh, content marketers, or, or maybe just marketers as a whole, we have this this or that mentality where it's like, well, if this works, nothing else will work. And it, it's, it's not always has, you know, you know, black and white. And so I think um, in terms of content as a publication versus content as the library, you have two very different sort of purposes and outcomes with you know, content as a library, um, you know, you are giving sort of your business this engine for compound growth. You know, it's this passive thing in many cases that operates in the background to sort of get people to come to your site. And so you need a library of content, right? Um, it's indexed by Google. Uh, it's discoverable when people uh, are searching for things related to your product. Maybe they're not necessarily in market. Um, and that's how you provide sort of that compounding return. You have to have a content library. And that's why a lot of uh, companies actually create that because it's great for SEO. It's great for, you know, passive search um, and getting people into the funnel, right? Um, and so I think it goes without saying that that's really, really crucial. Um, but the flip side of that, and I think this was definitely a popular sort of line maybe three years ago, is like content as a publication, you have to make exciting content. Um, and I definitely think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, I think content as a publication is great. It, however, it's typically higher quality, right? It's more editorial. It means finding writers that are knowledgeable enough uh, to write about a topic in a way that, you know, convinces other experts to agree and engage and think of it as high quality content. And I think, you know, the people who do content marketing uh, for one are often not the same type of content marketer, like in terms of, you know, their, you know, their prowess and where their, you know, strong suit is. So I think that, you know, that can confuse a lot of people. They're like, well, if I just hired this brilliant B2B writer, you know, why can't he also, you know, create all of this um, sort of library content, if you will. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have a writer that does both. 
But I think that that's where there's a lot of confusion because people are like, well, you know, we want to create this exciting publication. We want to create high quality content. Well, that takes a lot of time and it takes a slightly different skill set than, you know, someone who's creating a library of content. Um, I, I know personally, um, in terms of content libraries, you know, you, you're frequently erring on the product side, right? So you want to provide granular level detail about things related to solving particular problems and often you want to incorporate elements of your product. Well, you need someone who's a product expert or, or close to that or someone who can work with product experts to translate that into consumable content. So I guess in terms of the schools of thought, I think you need both, right? Um, but then again, you have to go back to what's the most pressing need for my business? you know, now versus six months from now, nine months from now, it's going to change, right? Um, so I think the content as a library versus a publication issue is definitely very variable. Yeah. And I think it's an ongoing debate that will continue long in content marketing circles. But I think actually as an extension to this library versus publication discussion, a lot of acquisition channels for content are drying up, especially in social, which people have talked about quite a bit. So does that mean that all B2B SaaS content marketing strategies should actually be built, say, search first around SEO? Right. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's definitely an issue. And I think that um, one of the things that we've seen, well, I think if you go back to uh, 2012, around there, Facebook overtook Google as a traffic source for news. And so people, you know, were, you know, all about social. Um, but then, you know, probably... I think it was around 2018 with the changes to the Facebook al algorithm. It basically meant that people were like, oh, that's right. There's this thing called SEO. I mean, obviously SEO has always been there, but I think that there was certainly a period of time where, um, you know, uh, well, Facebook was number one. People were looking for things there and people treated it as this, you know, primary channel. And when that kind of dried up, uh, we obviously, you know, remembered, oh, we have SEO. And so I think that, um, certainly that's where I think a lot of content marketers are seeing more bang for their buck because, you know, we're trying to optimize for getting people, you know, back to our site. Um, there's perhaps a closer connection versus simply, you know, coming from Facebook, consuming something there and relating that in some way. But I think overall, um, I do think that we kind of have to treat our channels as experiments over time because they change. And I think what we learned specifically uh, with the whole Facebook situation is that we can't rely on a single channel to provide us with what we need forever. Um, you know, we are at the mercy as B2B marketers of, of Google. We are at the mercy of Facebook and, and any other platform where we distribute regularly, right? Um, so I think it's all about, it's about SEO without a doubt, but it's also about finding those other channels that work for you and thinking about critically. I mean, really thinking about, okay, well, if there's another channel out there, you know, that's, you know, pretend, potentially, you know, a nugget, a bright spot for us, what kind of content can we create specifically for that? And that informs content strategy too. You know, if you find that you have this incredibly engaged, uh, you know, email subscription base, make content for that, give people what they want, meet them where they're at. I mean, certainly SEO is, is always going to be a component, right? Um, but there's lots of other places and the diversification of your content strategy kind of assures you against, ensures you that you don't actually have to have that over-reliance on one specific channel. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much a case of not putting all your eggs in one basket when it comes to your content strategy. And I think finally then, 
where do you see content marketing heading and what is it that B2B SaaS content marketers should be focusing on as we head into 2020 and a new decade? Yeah, that's, this is sort of, it feels for whatever reason, um, it feels like we're kind of on the precipice of, of some, some key changes within content. Um, or maybe content marketers just love to talk like that. But I think without a <laughs> doubt that we are seeing, you know, this sort of continued trend of content as a media function, right? Um, you know, we talked about that a few minutes ago. I think content marketers have to uh, stop thinking like content people. I think that that's sort of um, one of the biggest takeaways. They should be sort of thinking as publishers. They should be thinking about uh, how they work as brand builders, but most importantly, teachers. Um, I think that sort of understanding what's valuable, um, you know, to people at all stages of the buying cycle, that's pretty key. And then you can teach them through content. You can teach them about your brand. You can teach them about how your product works. and I think the other thing, I mean, this might be more like from my personal experience, but I think content marketers have to stop playing by the rules. Um, I see far too many people reliant on, you know, sort of parroted content, um, you know, top 10 lists, if you can believe that, um, you know, work a little harder to conceal the fact that you are doing a listicle, for example, give people some value. Um, and just stop doing things that other brands are doing just because you think it works for them. Um, I, I find it weak and I think ultimately it's not super helpful in terms of differentiating your brand and, and even yourself as a writer. Um, and I realize that you know not everyone can pull that off, but whatever you can do to sort of be different, I think is going to help you. Um, you know, That's going to be a compelling part of why people choose you because of your ability to differentiate. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, this was super good. And we definitely have a lot to think about when it comes to content marketing. Um, but I think we could now move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So I will just ask you five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So Sonia, are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Great. Let's do it. So first question, what's the one book you would recommend others to read? Yes. Um, I think, Okay, I have one that I think is sort of a, a great one for anyone to read who's in marketing, not just content marketers, but um, Verlin Klinkenborg wrote a book and it's called Several Short Sentences About Writing. And it's beautiful, succinct. It's just an elegant book and I highly recommend it, whether you're a writer or not. Okay, awesome. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Ah, uh, yes. Um inspiration comes from a variety of different places, but I definitely think that um, I'm continually inspired by a company I used to work for, um, Drift. Um, And the reason why is they're really good at category creation. Um, And they sort of, you know, they've driven a stake into the ground in a specific area and they've run with it. And that's incredibly difficult for a lot of companies to do. And so I really just, you know, hats off to them for continuing to be able to do that. Um, And then I think, Another one, if I can add another one, is is definitely Wistia. I think that they've stayed the course. But what I really like about them is their ability to take that, you know, category creation component and then get deeper into the product and becoming sort of a product that people in that space really love and understand on a deeper level with their content. Um, and then I would say, you know, sort of as a, you know, a rallying cry, like, I think we need some more of these companies. Um, you know, maybe someone listening listening will be adventurous enough to you know go out there. I think 
we as content marketers need to, you know, sort of take risks, calibrated risks uh, a lot more often than we do, um, especially with, with content. So yeah, hopefully someone will be inspired by this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think Drift have definitely shown how you should go about creating a category and have kind of laid out the blueprint if other companies are bold enough to, to try and take on that challenge as well. So yeah, yep. two very good companies there. Um, third question, favorite place to read about marketing online? Ah, yes. Oh, you might hate me for this, but so I really don't like to read about marketing. I mean, I know that I know that a lot of people do and they sort of geek out on the latest marketing content, but I think by and large, I, I prefer to read and learn about everything outside of it so that I can do something different inside of it. Um, you know, so to that end, I, I kind of like reading non-industry publications as much as the, anything I might find, say, on Twitter about marketing. Um, you know, I love just reading about, you know, sort of social phenomena in general, um, you know, in the times, New York mag is fun. Um, but to that end, you know, to give a little of my, um, sort of personal faves, I really like Kevin Indig's newsletter. Um, he writes a lot about SEO changes to the Google algorithm. I think that's really fascinating because that's an area I think, you know, I have so much to learn in. Um, I always love Keaton Shaw's product habits because that's really granular sort of inspiration about, product because I think that plays like a massive uh, role in how you think about content. Um, and then I think, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like Twitter has a ton of gems by people who are sort of experts in their fields. Um, John Henry Shirk, great SEO talent, love what he tweets. Um, I think there's tons of people out there. I, I mentioned Kevin Indig, also follow him. Um, and I think those are the peeps that I kind of really gravitate towards, uh, folks who are specialized in their area. Uh, and sharing those nuggets, sharing those gems on a regular basis. Yeah, I love it, especially the advice about not reading about marketing to be a better marketer. So yes. sage advice there for everyone. Um, fourth question, most important growth metric? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that's a tough one because I think most, um, well, because growth is sort of a broad category, right? You could be driving top of funnel growth, middle of funnel growth, you know, product growth, uh, feature growth. But um, I guess I would say, how fast is your sales cycle? Um, I know that's kind of a strange metric for a content person, but how fast people are sort of like converting on, you know, sort of top of funnel offers, I think can give you sort of a, a macro level understanding of whether or not you're talking about the right things or, or servicing the right problems in your content. Um, I think that's a pretty interesting way of looking at it. Uh, obviously, I, I would never like over index on just one metric, but I think that that can spark a lot of conversations and debate which are like crucial for developing content. Yeah, absolutely. And then fifth and final question, what would be your best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Oh, wow. Um, I think if I had to pick one piece of advice for fellow marketers, it would be don't be a marketer, be a thinker, and then everything else will follow from there. <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. Well, Sonia, I have to say this was amazing and a massive, massive thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I love chatting with you. That was Sonia Jacob on redefining content in the age of growth. Now you can find Sonia on Twitter at Sonia. And as ever, if you have any thoughts or feedback, then you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency, Advance B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories.